Hi, I'm Lizzie, here with my friend Andrea, and we are your hosts for Letting It Percolate. Just as the best tasting coffee takes time to percolate, some of life's most interesting and important questions take time to truly explore. So today, we're going to be wrapping up the conversation we started in the last episode about the topic of toxicity. So we're just going to dive right back into where we left off, and we hope you enjoy. What about, I'm assuming you've heard the term mansplain, like mansplaining. Yeah. That is. <laughs> so, yeah, I might be completely off base here. Is that, like, could that be perceived as toxic? <laughs> like a toxic masculine trait? Oh or do you my think gosh. that's just See, a weird side thing Mm. the only reason the reason i bring it up is because this summer there was a guy working in uh, my department who sometimes would overhear things other guys would say to me guests or Mm. uh, co-workers or whatever and he would call them out for stuff they said and saying stop mansplaining to her (laughs) and and i honestly it was kind of the first time I heard that word actively used, hmm. and I didn't take really personal offense to being maybe talked, like, down to, or, like, things being simplified a little bit, hmm. um, but it was interesting to me that another guy was, like, aware of and sensitive to hmm. that toward women. Yeah, that is fascinating. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I mean... Is this completely disconnected? <laughs> no, I, no, I think it's, it's good because it people, I think people, most people's brains, just like these buzzwords are floating around, like, to me they're associated just because they're both buzzwords that kind of criticize men <laughs> in some way, shape, or form, and so they're associated mm. to me for that reason, but I think it's a good example because it's way less obvious and direct what harm may possibly be being done um, in the case of quote-unquote mansplaining. Because in the case of things we've already talked about, it's a little bit more of a direct line between an action Mm. and, like, a harmful consequence. Whereas if a guy, if I'm, like, (laughs) I mean, I feel like most women have experienced it. The funny thing is, like, it happens in, without the whole gender component to it. Like, Sometimes women, when I know what I'm talking about, another woman will talk over me and re-explain something. Or, and I'm sure that happens mm. man to man. Is well. I don't know. I'm not a dude. But, <laughs> like, it happens without the gender component. But I think we've fixated on the when a man does it to a woman. Um, and it's definitely frustrating. I mean, I've been in situations where I kind of feel like, bro, like... <laughs> I know what I'm saying. It's okay. You don't have to talk to me like I'm a five-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, like, yes, that's frustrating, but I don't feel harmed by that. Um, and also, that's one dude. Um, granted, there are other dudes <laughs> in the world who do that, but you have to zoom... Who do that. <laughs> <laughs> you have to zoom out and look at how many dudes have you had conversations with that don't do that 
that right. do respect you and do listen or let you speak without interrupting you and telling you that, you know, trying to retell what you said. Um, and then th- there's also the cases in which it's warranted, be- maybe not in a rude way, but like, maybe you are wrong. <laughs> and maybe the man does know what he's talking about and you don't. Yeah. And again, maybe there's a situation with a woman and a man where the woman does know what she's talking about and she talks over the guy and he does need to be talked over because he was wrong. Like, I don't know. The whole, like, fixation on gender to me is just very interesting because it happens with other pairings. Um, But I think that mansplaining being called toxic, like... That's where, for me at least, we start to lose the real, like, meaning of the word. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, what harm... And you can make an argument that, well, it's coming from this this patriarchal sense of, I'm always right, and that sense is, that patriarchal sense is what is causing harm over time. But that's a little bit of a stretch. Like, the causation is not clear there. Yeah, I I agree. And I, um... After I, like, way mumble-jumbled through that question, <laughs> I I was not trying to suggest that mansplaining... Well, I think I didn't know, to be honest. I think I didn't know. But when I hmm. think about it in the way that you've framed it, yeah, like, the harm done to me or to those, like, few people who made, I don't know, just slightly, like, condescending or, mm-hmm. like, power move kind of comments... Yeah. Uh, is very minimal. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I don't think it deserves the label toxic. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I do think, as you've highlighted, it's interesting that our culture has really focused in on the, like, man, the men's effect, um, and less thought, it seems, has been given to, like, a feminine feminine side of I guess toxicity or like habits patterns of Mm. habits that can have negative implications so as I think you alluded to earlier um, and as I will now confirm (laughs) it does seem there's some conflict about what exactly toxic femininity is one of my sources showed or gave the example of a woman only choosing to eat salad when she goes on dates because she has adopted this view that women are Mm. dainty and self-controlled and don't indulge in these kinds of things, as well as uh, the image of the woman who's just always giving of herself and always serving Mm-hmm. Um, but to the point that it's not, like, praiseworthy to the point that it is actually harming her. Like, mm-hmm. maybe part of her identity has become being a giver or a server, a servant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I guess this source was kind of making the claim that this is toxic femininity that's, I guess, um... It, it, like, started from ideals about what a woman should be versus the other one, which seems like it's leaning more on what a woman's response to toxic men should be Mm. um, or Mm. is or has become. And an example from that source of toxic femininity was 
a woman who has learned to kind of accept any violence or aggression toward her in order to keep her value. Um, like, for her to hmm. push back or fight back, she would somehow, like, lose value as a woman because maybe that's not how she is supposed to respond when she receives specifically from men, like, a violent hmm. or aggressive act. So, hmm. yeah, I would say... Like, I, I think those things can coexist, those two definitions. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. But I'm a little bit confused about, like, is toxic femininity something that is instigated by toxic masculinity? Or is it something that, like I said with the first example, originates inside of a woman? Or, like, what women as a whole believe they should be based on tradition or spirituality or whatever... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Would you say that you are in a similar place or do you have some clarity to I mean, offer us? Yeah, I, just in like doing a quick search of the term myself as well, like, I was confused, to be honest, because going back over what the two views you found, like, one relates to it's basically describing when a woman internalizes these very narrow expectations of what it means to be a woman mm-hmm. and acts those out. And, like, they're calling that toxic femininity. And the other, like you said, is this, like, response to toxic masculinity, as it were. <laughs> um, and to me, I'm thinking, like, well, that's leaving out the possibility that there's female traits that are... like traditionally viewed as feminine that can be taken to a level that is unhealthy and Mm. harmful not just to themselves but to others kind of like the what i believe is the definition of the quote toxic masculinity of a trait that is traditionally assigned to be masculine that is taken to such an extreme that it is harmful or unhealthy neither of these two things um, capture that possibility that like femininity could have that propensity as well that is very fascinating to me (laughs) just the the unevenness almost hmm um so we we want to as part of this topic share like personal examples that lizzie and i each came up with of areas where maybe in the past or currently we can have a toxic effect but before we go there can you think of any more general traits of femininity that you have seen in other mm. people blown out of proportion like you were describing mm. um to the point that they have a negative effect um this is going to feed into stereotypes so just a warning <laughs> <laughs> um but I do think that it has basis in reality. And the reason, like, we, people have just observed this. That's why it's become a thing. Um, so there's this stereotype that when men fight among each other, it's, like, physical. Like, they can resort to a physical confrontation. Whereas women among fighting among themselves, while it can turn physical, it often takes the form of verbal or relational or emotional aggression Hmm. and it's often not overt it's often 
covered in some sort of layer. Um, and so when that type of, um, like, destroying someone else's relationship because they harmed you in some way um, type of, like, that would be a trait, the the relationalness even. You can break it down as far as that, of what is traditionally viewed as feminine, being social and relatable, you know, whatever. Um, when you take that to the extreme of, okay, well, I'm going to destroy that relational piece in your life because you hurt me, um, that would be toxic. <laughs> that's, that's not good. <laughs> that's not healthy. Um, but even, even with that, just as with how I hesitate with the term mas- toxic masculinity, I would hesitate with the term toxic femininity as well, only because I don't think these types of unfortunate choices and behaviors, harmful choices at times, are restricted along these gendered lines. Mm. And it may be useful to restrict to define them in that way because of patterns, like I said, or prevalence rates. But really, like, I don't know. To me, it's less, it's more harmful to name it as, like, toxic femininity or toxic masculinity only because of the danger of someone misunderstanding and assuming that that means femininity is bad or masculinity is bad. Hmm. So. And or that the toxicity is, like, restricted to one gender or the other. Um, right. <laughs> which, as hopefully we've explained, we don't believe it is. Um, we believe that there's definitely elements on both sides. Yeah. It's a human I- thing. Like, it's humans. <laughs> like, humans have mm-hmm. the issue. And there are men and women, but, like, yeah. That's my thought. I'd just like to... <laughs> I would just like to take this opportunity to propose an alternative solution to conflict resolution mm. that the musical Hamilton demonstrated. Ooh. Have you seen Hamilton? I have not. I need to see it. Really? <laughs> so have you behind. listened to any of the soundtrack? Um, in passing, yes. Okay. It surprises me. I would have pegged you as a Hamilton groupie, Lizzie. But... I know. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> take that as the highest compliment, by the way. Um... Well, I recently, uh, maybe a couple months ago, and then again on New Year's Eve, saw Hamilton on Disney+. Plus. And one thing that surprised me that I, like, researched afterwards, and it is a legit thing, is that back in the, what, I guess, mid to late 1700s, people, men, would resolve conflicts by this 10-step process. And... Basically, when they have a conflict, they agree, okay, we're going to go through this 10-step process. And the climax of the process is that if they haven't resolved it by the time they get to the 10th step, they're facing back-to-back, they turn around at the same time, and they shoot each other. Like, Mm, they both are armed. Yes, exactly. A duel. Thank you. That's the word that I was missing that (laughs) will probably help explain what they're doing. And, um... I don't want to, like, ruin the musical for you or anyone else, but there are multiple duels, mm-hmm. and um, I just, I found it interesting, because they have, like, 
advisors who go and try to negotiate and work things out and it seems like honor and respect are the things Mm. like the the end goals they're trying to get to Hmm. but if they can't negotiate and one man doesn't back down and isn't willing to say oh yeah my bad like oh i've been toxic in this way or Mm. if it's not to that level just i messed up then they they eventually do turn around and shoot at each other and there are consequences sometimes when you do that. Um, <laughs> yes. But to me, compared to, for example, a stereotypically feminine way of dealing with conflict, where we sometimes talk about it to everybody except the person mm. that could actually change the situation, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe this 10 step duel method <laughs> has some merit. Andrew's advocating to bring back dueling. <laughs> and bloodletting. No. Oh my God. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Maybe I was born in the wrong century. Oh, wow. No, that's interesting, though. I mean, yeah. I think it's funny because the end of the dueling, where if it does get to that point where you're actually drawing guns, like, that's an extreme. The other extreme is, you know, gossiping and causing harm in that way. And there's this healthy middle ground <laughs> that exists. It's actually a pretty big part of it. It's the middle ground. <laughs> Between gossip and, and, just and a duel. Murder. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, food for thought. <laughs> we like to uh, explore the whole spectrum right. here on letting it percolate. Nothing. Yes. Yes. No question will go unasked. So, as I mentioned, or alluded to, we both wanted to share just a quick personal example of a time or times when we've noticed some toxicity in our lives toward others, and I will go ahead and share my example first. Uh, I really do, I'm trying to work on this, but perfectionism, which is just a natural tendency for me, has crept into like group projects and team-oriented work before to the point that people will either like hear me talk about an expectation or see maybe like an outline I make or something and then come to me with their work almost like hesitantly, um, unsure of like, I don't know if I think it's good or meets Mm -hmm. the standard or something and I I don't like that because it shows me that I'm projecting on people kind of like an extreme extreme expectation of excellence and or like a really harsh black and white, this is good, this is bad um, kind of metric. Mm. And um, I think if I were on the receiving end of that kind of attitude I would probably either be really scared or just like really tempted to check out and like well screw this because I'm never going to meet this girl's expectations and she's gonna like edit it the night before and change everything I did which yes unfortunately Mm -hmm. has happened Mm -hmm. um and I'm not like proud of that so what I've realized especially after being out of the academic world for a little bit and in like the working world is that receiving, um, like, transparent and honest thought from people is better than 
trying to almost coerce them into some like super ambitious final product Mm. um like it feels way better to them but also i think like perfectionism can result in me having a narrow mindset and judging other people's work based on a really narrow like evaluation scheme Mm. Mm -hmm. um and as a leader or a coworker, or I mean, hopefully ultimately in some kind of like management position, um, I'm, <laughs> I don't want people coming to me hesitantly saying, is this okay? Does this meet your bar? Mm. I know that it had this one little error and I hope that you won't like bite my head off for it. I don't want that kind of response from people. I don't want them to feel like mm. they can't make mistakes or they can't have an idea that's completely like different from whatever my idea was so it's a it's a work in progress but Mm. I think unintentionally I created toxic environments sometimes in small group teamwork kind of settings Hmm. because of my own perfectionism and Mm. own like striving for unachievable excellence essentially Mm. so Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah that's that's one example that I came up with. Yeah, man. Um, and just to add what you said right before that, um, like, we are, the purpose of us kind of reflecting on, like, an example from ourselves is to tr- try to look at the idea of, like, what toxicity in this sense even is and, like, if if we're able to identify it in ourselves and... Um, and if so, what, what that means. Um, but one thought as well from my, just (laughs) my own issues in my own life, um, where maybe I had a toxic effect on someone else or other people, um, just (laughs) experiencing something or seeing something or having a certain interaction, which makes me angry. And then, instead of handling my anger and my reaction to whatever happened in a healthy way, (laughs) um, choosing to vent to someone in my life, someone, like, close to me, which venting can often be a good thing, um, to, like, let out your emotions, but in my case, um, sometimes it's not a good thing because... I just have no filter. (laughs) And so then it can just be, like, building, like, building on my own pain, just, like, piling it on verbally. Um, And again, this is not me, like, yelling at someone that I love. This is, like, someone I love bearing witness to me talking through my own anger at whatever situation had happened. Um, There's been multiple (laughs) uh, things like this. But, like, even my, like, intensity and anger and, like, the vitriol with which I, like, spew whatever I need to get out of me (laughs) to have that, for another person that I love to be subjected to just hearing that and trying to empathize with me, maybe, like, that may be a toxic thing that I sometimes engage in. And, Hmm. um, yeah, I think (laughs) it's just like you were identifying in yourself, Andrea, like an area of growth, that's an area of growth for me, being able to handle that emotion 
um, without being, I really, I feel like the word corrosive is accurate in, in some of these mm. instances, unfortunately, with people that I love, um, letting them in on this very intense emotional experience I have and have forcing them to be subject <laughs> to listening to it. Um, yeah, because then it's like, then they have to cope with whatever they just heard. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, that's something that came to mind for me, if we're thinking about, like, toxicity in ourselves. Hmm. Do you, um, is there a part of you that wants to be able to still share those emotions, the people you love, so that they know you're experiencing them? Oh, yeah. But, yes. okay. Absolutely. There's a healthy way to do that. It's just... For in my case, it's a matter of I need to take some time by myself and let it out before I can go to someone else in certain cases, depending on mm. the emotion, because I just feel things very intensely. Um, and that can be overwhelming uh, for people to experience. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, totally appropriate to express, you know, how I'm feeling for anyone to express how they're feeling to someone they trust. Um, but just being aware of, like, the intensity of it and, like, do I need to, like, take care of this a little bit first on my own? When people start running out of the room with their ears covered, it might be a good sign. (laughs) (laughs) That is not... Yeah, I'm sorry. That's... (laughs) Don't take that personal. It's very general. It was very general. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so we were thinking about this label of toxic and like we just came up with two examples one from each of our own lives listeners may be able to come up with their own examples of like a time that they possibly were toxic quote unquote toward someone in their life and so we wanted to kind of explore a little bit the usage of this label and if it's useful to have as a label Or kind of like we were talking about generalizations, like it's obviously useful to have categories and schemas in our mind because we have limits to our processing capacity. (laughs) But is toxic one of those useful labels Um, or not? So we kind of wanted to explore that a little bit. For me, the degree to which labeling something as toxic is dangerous really boils down to um how permanent the label is so (laughs) i think uh i don't know actually that i've talked about it much on air but i read a while ago this book called mindset which uh has really impacted my thinking and has been like good self-reflection but also in the way that I talk to others and um it basically in the book contrasts the growth mindset with the fixed mindset and the fixed mindset to just briefly summarize would look kind of like well I um, grew up in a household where anger was expressed often I've always been an angry child. I have outbursts regularly, but this is because of my upbringing and therefore it can't change. It will always be a part of who I am. And a growth mindset might approach that same set of circumstances by saying, 
I grew up in an angry household where I saw anger expressed regularly in a physical way. I experienced a lot of anger personally. Um, it's okay that I'm experiencing the anger, but I want to challenge myself to express it in a way that's different from how I saw it modeled. And I'm, I'm capable, I'm not bound to express it the same way I saw it modeled. Um, and maybe if I have kids or just people around me, I'll be able to pass on a different um, picture of what it looks like to be angry than what I saw. And so for me, a big key in this discussion about toxicity is whether or not someone, once they become aware of their own toxicity, is capable of changing, if they want to, um, is capable of uh, speaking a different way, reacting a different way. Um, and I am a pretty firm believer that change is always possible and that um, there's never an instance or a situation where growth can't happen. Um, I, I don't believe that traits are locked in. I definitely believe that genetics can play a big role in how we are as people and how we operate, but um, I, I guess there's a, a part of me that likes to just be a little hopeful all the time, mm. and I, I certainly am with my own personal example of perfectionism, uh, but for other people too, I, I'm hopeful that the things that they see in themselves or that I see in them that um, even are extreme to the level of being toxic can can change. And I think sometimes therapy is required and professional help. Um, I think there's a lot of different avenues one can walk down in, mm. in that, like, search. But from my perspective, the label isn't so dangerous because it's not, like, condemning someone to their state eternally. Mm. Um, but I know from prior conversations, Lizzie, your perspective's a little different on this, so <laughs> I'd be curious to hear how you would weigh in mm. on this question. Mm. I think there's two components there for me that I would want to add. Um, one is it may be a label that is viewed as not permanent by some, but to the person being called toxic, um, mm. or, or someone's essence, so like masculinity being called toxic, they may perceive, going back to perception, they may perceive it as someone slapping a permanent label on them. Um, and I think part of that is due to just the confusion with the usage of these terms, and people using them in different ways. But, so I think it's important to be aware, like, for someone to use the word toxic as a descriptor in any sense of a person or the essence of a person, um, to be clear with, the, like, if they do view it as, like, this is a piece of you in this slice of time. <laughs> wow. Weird word usage. <laughs> um, or you are toxic and too bad because that's just mm -hmm. how you are. Like someone's intention may be 
different than what someone perceives. Um, so I think it's good to be aware of that. Um, the other thing, just in talking about like the permanence or lack thereof of the label toxic, um, I largely agree with you, Andrea, just with like the growth mindset thing and like the, um, being open to the possibility of of change in oneself or in someone else, although we can't control other people, so that's a little bit more difficult to apply. <laughs> um, <laughs> however, I I do think there's like a little bit of an allowance in my mind for um, those cases in which change may be possible, but the person refuses to change or mm. never exits the pre-contemplative stage of change. <laughs> um, and the reason I think it's important to acknowledge that smaller but still there segment of like sometimes the toxicity really is permanent um, even though maybe it doesn't have to be but they're choosing to not change um, is because of the people affected by that. I think hmm. um, I'm going back to domestic violence. I, I just went through a DV training with my job so that's on my mind a little bit but um like, the hope of someone else changing is a factor among a variety of things that can keep someone in an abusive relationship. Hmm. Um, and so sometimes it really is important, you know, whether or not 20 years from now they do end up changing is irrelevant if there's, like, a serious safety concern. Um, and so it's it can be important for someone in that situation at a point in time to just say, it, I don't know if this person will ever change. Like, they may never change. Um, and or <laughs> how they've already treated me is bad enough that um, it's not something we can work through. Um, so that's, that's the part of it where the changeability is hopefully there, but it like we said, it just depends on someone's motivation to change. And some people mm. are motivated to stay the same. And what you're describing um, in terms of people's, like, hope in someone else's ability to change being a factor in staying in an abusive relationship, like, I guess what you're talking about is boundaries like where (laughs) you know like where um something reaches a point that a boundary is established um I guess I'd like to think and this is probably just my idealism speaking but I'd like to think you can establish a boundary without giving up hope that someone can change Mm -hmm. um and that establishing a boundary doesn't mean mm. that all hope is lost. But I yeah. I really appreciate you offering that example and just like the the recency with which you've learned and like thought about domestic violence with your job mm-hmm. because I think that's a really important case to call out. Um, yeah, yeah. And I'm yeah, I just hadn't thought of that at all, but in retrospect, it makes sense that it would probably do more damage than good to be in that kind of negative and toxic relationship 
and to keep saying, oh, but you can change. Mm -hmm. Or if I'm the one, because I never want to assume that I couldn't end up on the flip side. Um, I think Mm. sometimes we don't know what we're capable of, not to go too dark dark (laughs) and deep, but yeah, um, yeah, I would, it'd probably be hard, but I think it would be good for someone to make that boundary with me. Um, And Mm. I'd hope I'd be able to make it with somebody else if it got to that point. Relationship, like romantic or otherwise. So yeah. No, I really like what you said with the boundary piece of it, um, because I think that's a really effective way to talk about both the possibility of someone else changing and the reality of what's healthy for me, you know, as a person right now. And it goes back to that, like, what can I control? Because I can't control, if I have hope in someone else changing, at the end of the day, I can't change them like I can't force them to be that motivated to change Mm. um but what you can control is setting a boundary for yourself um that if that other person crosses it you can take whatever action is necessary um depending on the case so I think that's a really helpful way to frame it of still you can still freely view people as always able to change but the piece of it that we can actually control and focus on pragmatically is our boundaries mm. with that. Um, kind of, I guess, distilling this down to one final question. Outside of the realm of um, what we've just been discussing, like when there is some kind of abuse or major damage going on and like that's the toxicity... When we see, um, uh, what do we call it, less toxic toxicity <laughs> in, in another person or in ourselves, sometimes on social media or in conversations, I'll hear people say, well, this is the time to cut them off, like cut off the toxic person mm. um, or cut off the toxic news site or whatever. Um, mm. And, again, as with an exception being the situations we were just discussing, is there an alternative way that we can still engage with people and ourselves, which we kind of inevitably have to as humans, <laughs> that isn't just, like, a straight up, a straight up like, we're ending this, um, I want nothing to do with you, mm-hmm. like, stay out of my life because you're carrying toxicity with you. Is mm-hmm. there some kind of alternative or maybe middle ground to be found um yeah Hmm. i'm gonna throw it back to you lizzie yeah (laughs) uh do you do you have thoughts on this yeah i think like you kind of you gave the caveat and i'm gonna expand it just a little bit to say um the key factor in either in not in being able to not totally cut someone off like you're describing like is there this alternative the key factor in discerning should I go with an alternative or do I have to actually be that extreme and just you know cut off um Mm. the key factor well (laughs) that's overly simplistic now that I think about it there are multiple factors (laughs) but it's important to consider what you already said of like safety like physically and also emotionally But beyond that, um, even just, like, 
is this person routinely, going back to patterns, um, refusing to change, refusing to acknowledge damage that they're causing? And um, are they impacting other areas of your life uh, where you feel like they should not have that influence? Um, if those conditions are not met, because <laughs> this is a math equation, <laughs> um, then then I think your world opens up to, okay, what alternatives are there? Like, maybe we shouldn't be at the level of closeness that we currently are because there is some sort of toxic something happening, but I don't want to totally cut you off. And so at that point, I think it's a matter sometimes of setting hard boundaries if the other person's not willing to, like, work with you. But sometimes you can talk, just be honest and say, like, hey, I don't think this is super healthy like how do you think we can make this better um Hmm. that's assuming you're dealing with a mature person um who has insight (laughs) and that's not always the case but yeah uh, to me it's really just a matter of conversation and in knowing what's what's appropriate for me on maintaining that I'm going to second the conversation and, like, being transparent with um, how we've been hurt or our emotions. And um, I can I can think of two examples, neither of which I'll really dive into, a bunch of specifics. But mm. one where I hurt somebody else and they came to me and acknowledged that and I found it really helpful. Mm. Um, and... It, it was just, like, a good reconciling process to take ownership of that and apologize. Mm. Um, and then I can think of another one that's a little more recent where um, I, like, shared my feelings openly with someone who had power to impact the situation. And I really feel like that was for the best. And at a minimum, it, I mean, that particular instance, I had kind of been shielding those feelings and emotions and the hurt and telling myself it wasn't fair to be feeling those and buck up mm-hmm. and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But it felt so good to actually say them to mm-hmm. someone who um, was able to empathize and then kind of acted as a mediator um, mm-hmm. on my behalf. And so that, for me, I think that's what I would say is the biggest thing. Like... Um, I don't know that there's a five-step strategy, mm-hmm. aside from the, the ten-step duel, of course, but I don't know, <laughs> I don't know that there's a five-step strategy oh. outside of, like, really just talking um, and being transparent in a way that the person who is acting in a toxic manner will understand, mm. and, uh, well, I can't say that. We don't know exactly what someone will understand, but at least that they'll be able to hear it. Mm-hmm. And, um, as always, I think there's a flip side to that, which is being open ourselves to that kind of conversation if it comes up. Um, and you know, sometimes for me, I've learned that in the moment, it's hard for me to always see the same thing the person is seeing Mm -hmm. and my, I can feel my defensive walls start to rise a little bit. And I think that's human nature, but giving it some time, a few hours or a few days afterward, to like reflect on it um and then decide like okay i i can see this in myself hopefully um and if i still can't then maybe there's more conversations that need to happen as a follow-up 
but yeah, I think I'd really second mm. your point. Um, I think that's an alternative. Yeah. And I think, honestly, it's sad to think if we always cut off the people in our lives that we have a conflict with, um, that that is repeated or a pattern in some way, we could lose a lot of relationships that are actually pretty meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I see that happen peripherally yeah. with people and... Um, have been tempted to go there sometimes myself and I just mm. in most cases don't think that the ultimate consequence is what we're th- hoping or thinking it will be like I don't think it brings mm. the kind of resolution that we might want it to mm. when we cut someone completely off with there being some exceptions so right yeah that's coming from a 25 year old but <laughs> <laughs> I mean maybe that'll change down yeah. the line but that's kind of where I'm at right now yeah so yeah Well, it has been yet another episode of Letting It Percolate. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We hope that you connected with what we talked about in today's episode and that your thoughts have been sufficiently percolated. Join us next time for a discussion where we'll try to answer the question, who acts in your best interest, and specifically in the context of major food corporations and the law. That's all for today. We'll talk to you next time.